Fundraising from Foundations. What exactly is the new normal? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Caroline Altman-Smith. She's the Deputy Director of Education at the Kresge Foundation and an alum of the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy. And Caroline, so great to work with you once again. Thanks for being with us on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Bill. So in 2020 and into 2021, we know that you and your colleagues in the foundation world continued your steady work, also with some adjustments. So many of our foundations went above and beyond the required 5% payout. We heard about you know, the changing of the ways that we do applications and decision-making and grant reporting, so-called trust-based grant making. First of all, would you reflect on 2020 and 2021? What changes were you seeing from the inside of the foundation world? Yeah, happy to. Thanks for the chance to reflect a bit uh, on this with you. Obviously, you know, the world turned upside down in 2020. Um, uh, If you didn't have your world rocked, you really weren't paying attention. And that was certainly true as well for folks like me uh, who work in the professional foundation universe. And I think it became very clear very quickly that we could not go on uh, with business as usual. Um, The good news is, is I think there have been a number of really healthy developments in the foundation field since then, even with all of the the tragedy and the suffering and the upheaval that have come along with the pandemic and the racial reckoning and and so many other major um, turbulent forces at play. Um, When I look back at Kresge's work during 2020, 2021, um, it really did um, not, I wouldn't say fundamentally change the nature of a lot of the conversations that we were having, because we have been focused on a wide range of issues within the sector for a long time, and we've had racial equity uh, front and center in our work for a long time, but it certainly lent more urgency to many of those conversations, and I think um, many of our foundation colleagues started looking at themselves in the mirror more and saying, you know, what have we been doing that has actually inadvertently been reinforcing structural inequities in our society? You know, what could we be doing differently in terms of how we listen to communities, how we support leaders, um, revisiting our strategic grant making priorities to make sure that they are still relevant and useful in a very different landscape. Um, so I think a lot of that was healthy self-reflection on the part of foundations. Um, certainly a great shame that it took uh, crises of these magnitudes to um, force that type of reflection. Um, But overall, I think quite useful. And I've been very inspired to see many foundations um, renew or create uh, greater levels of commitment to racial equity in their work, uh, as many of us kind of took took the blinders off on a a lot of um, social realities. Um, I would mention one thing uh, for us that we did in our own portfolio on the education team at Kresge, Uh, during that time was we were very moved by a study uh, that came out in the summer of 2020 by Bridgespan and Echoing Green looking at funding disparities for leaders of color. And um, that caused some real soul searching on our part to look within our own portfolio and do an analysis of how many organizations were we funding that were led by people of color, Were they getting uh, more project support versus unrestricted support? Were the grant amounts equitable? Um, And to our chagrin, uh, we found a lot of the same trends that were found in that national study in terms of really troubling um, differences. And that's been something that we've been working on rectifying. We've tried to be transparent about Uh, about that analysis and what we're learning from it and that we're taking proactive steps to rebalance. So that's just one small example, but I think, um, you know, a concrete one about how we've tried to operate 
differently um, in the wake of um, a lot of the realizations that the way we funded before were not going to help us all rebuild uh, back better, as it were, coming out of 2020 and 2021. Caroline, you touched on the so-called twin pandemics, right? The health pandemic of COVID-19 and also the, you know, pandemic, so to speak, around racial and social justice and reconciliation issues. And maybe start with that second one first, since, since you ended there. Uh, in terms of operationally, then, as, as you had this awareness, as you had this aha moment, uh, what has that meant in terms of your day-to-day -day work? Did you change the application process at Kresge? Was there a different method of making grant decisions or maybe different makeups of the groups making those decisions? Did you know the reporting requirements change? What types of differences and revisions have occurred in that regard? Yeah, great question. Um, I think, you know, broadly, uh, many foundations have committed to being more responsive and more flexible uh, generally because of the of the pandemic. Um, that's been very positive in terms of, you know, reducing reporting requirements, trying to move to more multi-year general operating support gifts, et cetera. But then also, as I mentioned, really taking a hard look at who are they funding? Are they really funding the groups that have closest proximity to the communities that many of us are trying to um, impact positive change with, given the, the resources that we are you know, so privileged to be able to steward um, in our daily work. A lot of foundations looking at more um, participatory grant making strategies, uh, having more advisory committees, um, looking at the makeups of their own board. We at Kresge are very lucky. We have a, a wonderful board that's very diverse, but um, you know, foundations are revisiting that, looking at the makeup of the boards of the organizations that you're funding, um, just to ensure that there is diverse representation and that you're trying to dig deeper into um, issues that are, are getting closer to the ground. I will mention in, in some respects, it has been challenging to change that way of working when we are all uh, stuck in our houses working remotely um, in terms of getting out on the uh, getting out into the field meeting with people um, hearing from folks on the ground about needs that's very difficult to do in a purely zoom based format so I think that's been a hindrance and we've had to try to be creative and resourceful um, to look at other ways like you said changing the nature of the question some of the questions that we ask um, trying to continue to cast a wide net even living in a vir virtual world um, with the types of organizations that we consider for funding a lot of uh, foundations taking a look at um, smaller more community-based organizations than they have in the past again really trying to direct resources to folks closer to the ground who have a, a better sense of the problems and issues on the ground and and therefore you know the solutions and approaches that might might lead to sustainable change so one phrase again community-based philanthropy where those grassroots organizations their input is sought both in informal and formal ways uh, and also the so-called trust-based philanthropy where again maybe uh, you know again we still have standards that foundations are being uh, that are utilizing but again, adjusting the application, the grant management, the grant reporting process, because again, you know, folks are very smart, very talented, very capable, changing lives, improving communities, but maybe don't have the sophistication of writing a perfect grant proposal. And that one thing shouldn't be held against them because of all the other attributes that I just mentioned. And Caroline, it seems like that has been that adjustment's been made and sounds like that's here to stay, correct? I sure hope so. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Trust-Based Philanthropy Project and the principles uh, that they promote. And um, I really think they have been very successful in um, 
I don't want to say forcing, encouraging reflection mm -hmm, among mm -hmm. funders uh, to really take a look at their practices. Um, you know, when we think back to the very early days of the pandemic, uh, the Council on Foundations led a pledge drive for, uh, I think they're up to more than 800 foundations at this point, that promised to be more responsive in their giving, promised to solicit and act on feedback, promised to reduce reporting requirements, uh, consider moving more restricted grant dollars to unrestricted to give leaders on the ground uh, maximum flexibility during a time of, of great change. Um, and that is that pledge, uh, which you know everyone is hoping is not was not just a one-time thing. I think many of those principles are well aligned with the trust-based philanthropy principles you just enumerated, uh, which really work, I think, to recenter uh, power from grant makers uh, to grant seekers, to nonprofit leaders um, who are the ones on the ground actually doing the hard work. Um, and so I hope a lot of those are here to stay. Of all the ones you mentioned, you know, multi-year general operating support is still a very sticky wicket. Um, when we ask nonprofit leaders, how can foundations be most supportive of you? What they say is give us multi-year general operating support. That allows us to be strong, stable, nimble, hire great teams, adjust as needed. And then we say, what other kinds of things do you think you might want or need beyond that, right? Like it's it's just a really difficult, um, for whatever reason, like mental shift, I think for many foundations to be willing to give um, in, in what is a, a much more humble way, which is saying like, we're not gonna negotiate every single dollar of this budget. We're gonna, we're gonna move resources to you, uh, invest in you, trust you to do the good work. Um, that's a different role for a program officer for a foundation. And I think uh, folks have been slow to step away from that, but I think it's encouraging to see that that more and more foundations are are considering the use of that tool. And when we think about giving from foundations, again, the year that the twin pandemics launched, 2020, we know that giving from foundations went up by 17% compared to the year previous. And uh, the giving from foundations, a big reason why 2020 was a record year, even after adjusting for inflation in terms of charitable giving in the United States. And of course, Caroline, the question all fundraisers want to know is, is that going to continue? Or are foundations over time going to gradually get back to that kind of 5% minimum requirement established by the federal government? I know you don't know for certain. We don't have research that shows this. But as you're kind of on the inside of the foundation world, what do you think? Well, uh, I hope those budgets will keep going up. I can say anecdotally, uh, in the national higher education funder circles that I run in, um, everybody's giving is up this year. Uh, so again, that's not based on research, but I have heard um, throughout the sector, you know, some some information coming out from the Center for Effective Philanthropy showing there's at least a promising trend line that that budgets will be up again this year for grant making. Um, at Kresge, we have recently moved to a three year um, rolling average for our grant making, which gives us more flexibility in times like 2020 when you want to put a lot more money out on the street. Um, we have long given more than 5% each year, than, which I'm very proud of. Um, but for foundations like Kresge that are designed to last in perpetuity, um, that is a tricky business to do that over too long of a time period, as we all know. So, um, you know, each foundation has to navigate that on their own. But I know I am very inspired when I see foundations willing to step up and heed the call of the sector, which says you've got all this money for a rainy day. It's pouring. You know, if you put more money out to address social issues now, you won't have to spend as much money on those social issues in the future. Right. If we're really able to make um 
make some good investments there. I always, in my mind, this is maybe an overly simplest, uh, simplistic example, but um, the Gates Foundation long ago deciding to invest in vaccines, they said like, well, why would we want to work on like just you know, putting a Band-Aid on malaria from now until the end of time, if we can actually put more money into a malaria vaccine right now, we can check that problem off our list, right? So um, again, it's the law allows for every foundation to chart their own course there, but um, certainly inspiring to see foundations step up and increase giving right now. Caroline, one last uh, question I want to ask, and that, you know, kind of overall advice for fundraisers, and it's in the context of the long-term effects of these twin pandemics, right? We're going to be, you know, hearing news, for example, uh, about the pandemic becoming an endemic, and, you know, different types of restrictions will, will ease in different locations at different times, and hopefully we'll continue to see never fully, but, you know, hopefully steady progress on these issues related with racial and social injustice and reconciliation efforts. But I remember I had a meeting in Houston in 2019, and, and one of the philanthropic leaders there said, you all think that the you know, consequences of Hurricane Harvey are over because all the national TV went home. They're not. We're going to be dealing with this for years. And of course, you deal in the education space and you know, the things that I'm reading, that you know, the impacts of just the pandemic alone. Uh, and how education had to change in 2020 and 2021 specifically could have long-term effects on, on children and youth. What do you think is the wake of the twin pandemics? You know, is this something we're going to be dealing with for years and years and that nonprofits need to be mindful of, not just in their programming, but in their fundraising as well? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, I think there's zero question that we'll be dealing with the effects of these twin pandemics uh, for many years. Um, Unfortunately, with COVID, we'll be continuing to deal with it. Like you said, the disruptions, um, the setbacks in people's lives, the learning loss for children. I mean, these things will ripple for many, many years. And for the other pandemic of racial inequities, unfortunately, um, we have such a long way to go in our country. We'll be wrestling with that as we have been wrestling for hundreds of years. We'll be wrestling with it, um, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future. And um, I think, you know, fundraisers uh, need to keep in mind, you know, sensitivities around these topics, uh, making sure that their approaches to donors are, you know, relevant, are grounded in a, a sense of shared values, a sense of what kind of, you know, more just healthy society do we want to build uh, coming out of these, um, these really dark years. Um, so, you know, I hope... Um, on the pandemic side, you know, I work mostly in, in higher education and there are right now 1 million fewer Americans in college than there were at the beginning of the pandemic. That's good. You know, if we don't do something significant to help attract people back into post-secondary education, we know the longer a kid after you leave high school, if you don't enroll immediately in college, your odds drop of ever enrolling and the longer amount of time that goes by, those odds get worse and worse. So um, we need a massive push to get people back into college, to support adults back into college, to get those degrees, which we know will affect their labor market outcomes for the rest of their whole lives. So that's huge. And then I would just say on the other front, you know, continuing this push of not just using racial equity as our lens and our frame in grant making, but uh, pushing more for a racial justice frame of actually dismantling the systems that keep this very inequitable status quo in place for so many Americans. Um, that, you know, that's that's what we all need to be making our own personal work, our professional work, and certainly um, influencing how we use those dollars that we're, we're privileged to steward. 
Well said. Caroline Altman-Smith is a nationally regarded leader in the philanthropic sector through her seat as Deputy Director of Education at the Kresge Foundation. And it's not that we take credit for our alums. Okay, we do. She's an alum of our <laughs> master's program and gives you an example of the type of people who are, are attracted to our academic programs. And our master's degree now is available entirely online. And so we also offer our bachelor's degree, we have our traditional doctoral degree, and upcoming soon, our professional doctoral degree. But many in our audience, that master's degree could be next and is available anywhere around the world online. And of course, here at the Fundraising School, we're all about executive education, professional development, most often for people already in the field, fundraisers, CEOs, board members, and other leaders in the philanthropic sector. Our public courses are available more and more in person across the continental United States. We expanded significantly with our online offerings, both recorded and live, and that's going to stay even as the pandemic, uh, the health pandemic wanes. We have customized training that we can come directly to you with uh, courses tailored specifically for your needs. That's anywhere in the United States and across the world, uh, and also available internationally, our quarterly webinars and these free weekly podcasts. All this information, is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks so much to our guests, Caroline Alton Smith, our producers today, Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.